Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Brainy and Broke podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jordan, and I'm so happy for you to tune in today. We have a great guest on. Her name is Olivia, and she is a PhD candidate, content creator, wife, dog mom, and everything in between. So please join me in welcoming Miss Olivia. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. This is so exciting. I am so happy that you're here. I am just elated. I feel like I've followed you on social media for so long and I love your content. It's just, you keep it so real. Like I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really important. I mean, I guess I'll I'll start by saying this. Um, The exciting thing, I'm sure we'll go into it more about social media is that you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Um, But for me, it was uh, both easier and important to kind of showcase just what I actually do. Um, For one, I'm sure you know this being a student, there's not a whole lot of time to curate, you know, this kind of other life for social media, right? Like we're, we're busy, we're studying, we're working, we have extracurriculars. So it's so much easier to just kind of say, okay, you know what, like, I'm not going to have a cute pastry and a coffee in the coffee shop every single morning. And that's okay. So maybe I'll talk about my lab work or the classes that I'm taking. Um, but I think the flip side is that I found that people really enjoy seeing it because there's so many, there's so many students all over the place. Um, and a lot of people can kind of resonate with that. So I appreciate that you appreciate that. Oh my gosh, of course. And what I love too, is that you have like all aspects of your life, like being a wife (laughs) and your dog. So cute. You're like a dog mom, right? Oh, I'm I'm obsessed with like anyone who has seen me interact with him in person might actually have concerns for my well-being. I'm absolutely obsessed with him. Rigatoni is like the love of my life. He's actually probably sitting um, outside this store right now. So can't wait to see him after we're done. <laughs> oh my gosh. Rigatoni, that is such a cute name. Oh, I love that. I'm sure that has to be so nice too. Like, you know, I'm sure doing your PhD can get a tad bit stressful at times. And I know you've even shared that on your platform as well, like experiments not going exactly the way you want them and taking weeks. You have to have a lot of resilience. And I'm sure like having Rigatoni just to be there and like smiling and happy has to be so nice. <laughs> oh, totally. Because Rigatoni does not know and does not care if my grad school life is going well or not. He is completely, completely, uh, you know, aside from that. So it is kind of nice that there's, there is a part, I'm not a person, gosh, there is a, a loved one in my life that is totally not in tune with any of that. That's so good. I love that. So Olivia, I'm sure for the people who haven't seen your content, they're probably interested in what you're doing and where you're at in your PhD and also how you got there. Just a little bit about your story, if you could share with us. Yeah, so I started my PhD in biochemistry and technically molecular biophysics, but I do very little biophysics um, at the University of Chicago in the fall of 2020. So obviously that year sparks a lot of feelings for a lot of people. So it wasn't the greatest year to start grad school or really to do anything, honestly. Um, But I actually went straight from undergrad. And I think that was kind of a saving grace because I didn't have to think about, you know, jobs or, or reality because grad school just kind of started and took over. But I did my undergrad at Northwestern, um, also studying biochemistry. I actually did a minor in Slavic languages as well. But as most minors, you don't really you don't really use it. But it was just kind of you know nice to study something outside of science for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went straight to grad school. I 
was a pre-med at first, um, but then I kind of found that as I was taking my intra-level classes, so the, you know, chemistry, biochemistry, um, organic chemistry, all the chemistries, essentially, I really found that I actually really liked the content a lot and was less intrigued in the application of the content, right? So I loved learning the the reactions or why different proteins interact in certain ways. So that's kind of what drove me to do a PhD rather than to go to medical school in the end. Um, and now I'm in a lab that studies tRNA modifications. So I'm in my fourth year. Um, and I guess to kind of briefly, you know, 30 second version of what I'm studying, um, I'm looking at a particular tRNA modification that comes from the gut microbiome. So all my work is very basic science based, but it is kind of fun because it kind of will hopefully eventually be relevant and kind of understanding something that actually happens in real humans, which to me is still exciting and important. Um, I love science that actually makes an impact down the road. Um, I think that's really what, where, you know, it's, it's the most meaningful to me. No, that is. And that's the amazing thing about like science in general is I have such an appreciation for people doing their PhD because your work will be so meaningful. Like all the work, it will contribute to science in your own specific way. And you're the expert on that. That's what I think is so like appreciative of your field. I am just so curious, how are you finding the time to create your content on top of doing all your experiments and amazingness in the medical uh, like science field? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I guess I'll start with a disclaimer. Sometimes I don't have time. And that's something that I've really kind of learned this year is I have to get better about saying, not just saying no more, because it's not about saying no to things that you actually want to do, but saying yes more to things that are actually going to be meaningful to me or bring me joy or actually move me forward in whatever space in life. It doesn't have to be necessarily career, but maybe move you forward in your relationship with your friends or move you forward in this hobby or sport that you're interested in. And maybe saying no to things that might kind of be like a thing that you accomplish, but in the long run, it's not actually going to mean anything. So that's something I'm trying to get better about this year. Um, because I definitely am, I'm a yes woman. I say like, if you give me a task or give me a, if you offer me an opportunity to give my time somewhere, I'll probably say yes. And I'll do it with enthusiasm. But as you can imagine that, you know, causes some problems when you have a million and one things on your plate. Um, that being said, I think for me, content is such a creative outlet. And in science, there is creativity in the sense that you're problem solving, you're designing experiments, you're thinking creatively about science, Mm -hmm. but it's not creative in the sense of, you know, total free will and total free thinking. So um, growing up, I was really, I was an art kid. I was an art nerd. I was never a sports kid. Didn't touch a single bat and ball in my life. Um, But I loved painting. I loved ceramics. I loved all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So content is kind of my version. It's like the 21st century version of that um, for someone who doesn't have time to sit at a pottery wheel, you know, a couple times a week anymore. So it's fun to kind of think abstract, like really, truly abstractly, where my creative thinking for science is kind of different because it's still very analytical and very procedural where content is not. It's literally whatever you want it to be. No, that is so true. I'm so happy you found that like, and honestly, the best part about it is that, and I know that you're pretty transparent about, um, you know, having this creative outlet and also like having some earnings from 
amazing brands that you work with. I think that is so awesome that like you can harness this creative outlet, but also like help kind of offset the financial burden that I'm sure like, you know, I think I've seen you talk about it before, like that we all experience in just being in the graduate space, like it can get pretty hard. So, I mean, you working with these brands and getting to like offset that is really impressive and awesome. And like, can you share a little bit more about like how it is offsetting the financial toughness? Yeah, absolutely. So the interesting thing about PhDs, um, at least in the United States, I know other countries do things differently, is that schools kind of determine your stipend. Because I will say the nice thing about a PhD is that you're not taking out loans to pay for the degree. You're actually getting a stipend from the school. So on the one hand, you are making money and you can, you know, you aren't ending the degree negative, um, but you're at the mercy of the school actually giving you the right amount of money. So being at the University of Chicago, honestly, relative to people on the coast, unfortunately, things are not that bad. Um, you know, I could not do content. I could do nothing else. And I could put food on the table, right? Like I, I would have a roof over my head. I would have food on the table and I would have a little bit left over to do a few fun things here and there. But it would definitely require some pretty stringent budgeting. Whereas on the coastal schools, the cost of living can be really high in places like Boston or Berkeley, California, where there's amazing schools, but unfortunately their stipends aren't scaled to the extent of the scale of the cost of living. Mm -hmm. So you have to be a little bit more creative. You have to finesse a little bit more to kind of be comfortable as a graduate student in those spaces. And, you know, oftentimes that just means having more roommates because, you know, you'll save on rent, not eating out as much, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So the way I kind of see content or any extra money I make doing anything else um, is that it allows me to have what feels like a real life when I kind of look at friends that I graduated college with who, you know, went into corporate or went into other, you know, just real jobs, essentially, like not graduate school, anything but grad school, you know, their ability to kind of have what, again, a seemingly nice lifestyle um, is tied to the fact that they have a salary and like a actual salary, not a stipend or not, you know, for, for medical students or law students or any other type of student, actually negative money per year. Yeah. Um, so it's for me kind of it has given me and my husband as well, obviously, kind of freedom to do things that we didn't expect we would do in graduate school. So we were able to go to Europe last summer. Um, we actually just got back from London a few days ago. And those are things that um, it, it isn't necessary for life. Like you can survive without them. But I think it's really impacted my kind of uh, my mindset around graduate school because I don't feel like I'm a struggling PhD student. I've been able to kind of alleviate that um, mental burden that can kind of come with feeling like you're, you know, living month to month and not being able to do anything that you want to do. So that's kind of a nice yeah. part of it. That was a really long-winded answer, but um, yeah. <laughs> not at all. I love it. I really, that's the, that's the goal of this podcast right there is just really like, trying to be someone like have yourself that you can kind of cultivate still. Like you said, this is like your inner child, basically. Like you've had the creative work that you've done in the past, like art and all sorts of pottery you were saying, like now you get to harness this and continue having that joy while being in such a demanding space. I mean, I just call it demanding because it really is like in any type of career that we're in, in these like brainy spaces, medical law, 
you were all pretty much either in the lab like you or head down in the books in the studying. Books. Yes, in the books. Uh, and I'm sure for you too, like in the literature, just really trying to study and do all sorts of things. So having that creative outlet is so inspiring. And like for me, I know, and I think for a lot of people too, from what I've gathered online is that it's pretty difficult to gather the confidence to post. And it's not only just the time, you know, finding the time, but it's also like the confidence and believing in yourself whenever we only get like a hundred something views um, on like reels or on TikTok. So like, I'm sure you experienced that too, right? Where you had to build yeah. yourself up. <laughs> it's a lot. And it takes a, it takes a lot of confidence. It takes a certain someone, but I think everyone can do it in I just want you to, if you can share with everybody too, like how you kind of found that confidence to post and keep going when things aren't looking like, okay, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> that, I love that you asked that because um, there are still some things that I struggle with. Like, for example, I have, I think I've set up a tripod in public to take pictures in Chicago once. And I remember the whole time I was just jittery and like, I was, you know, my eyes were darting all yeah. over the place and it was definitely a little uncomfortable. I, I mm -hmm. The tube girl trend went around um, over the summer, I think. Yeah. And I have not attained that level of, of confidence in public. Oh. Um, that being said, I think, I think what helped me feel confident is posting content that felt authentic to me. So when I created a video, if I liked it and if I felt like it reflected who I am in real life, then anyone who didn't like the piece of content, first of all, if they were drawing a conclusion on me based on a short piece of content, that's, that's their problem. And I kind of yeah. have, I think through, we can maybe talk about, I don't even know if this is something that we want, you want to talk about. I competed in pageants a couple of years ago and I oh. think pageantry really helps you build a thick skin for random internet strangers. And I think it kind of just takes a little bit of practice, honestly, like reading a comment and saying, you know what, this, it is not my job. It is not my responsibility to make this person feel better or make this person feel a certain way about what they're seeing. Um, and the reality is, is you, you can't talk people out of that mindset of like, if someone's going onto social media with the mindset that if, if they're going to see something they don't like, or if they see something that they think is embarrassing or this or that, and they're going to leave a comment about it, you, nothing you say back is going to change that kind of attitude and that sort of negative, um, that negative mindset towards what they're viewing. Um, and then if things just aren't going well, kind of on the flip side where you're like, this was a great piece of content. I loved it so much. Why isn't it, you know, getting the traction or making the the impact that I thought it would make? Um, that is really frustrating. And I think it's, it, I mean, it still is frustrating to me. Like there've been times where I've put a lot of effort into a video and it's not even similar to one that did do really well. And I was like, okay, great. If that worked, like, let's do it again and kind of keep writing that, that pattern. And it doesn't work. I'm like, wait what? <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of still a weird feeling and it's frustrating, but, um, you know, the good news is I kind of tell myself this isn't my full-time job and this is fun for me. And the moment that I start beating myself up about things not going right or not getting enough views or enough likes or this or that, the moment I start worrying about that and treating it like a full-time job, the harder it's going to be. So I have a lot of respect yes. for, for content creators who do it full-time because I can't imagine you know, the constant 
worrying about your metrics and worrying about your analytics and all that stuff. So it is kind of nice that it is a hobby and I want to keep it that way. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind is if it isn't your job, don't make it your job. I love that. Oh, bravo. That is such a great mindset to have. (laughs) Thank you. I think oftentimes I get in that mindset when I'm creating a piece of content, I get into the bad one of like, oh man, no one even thought this was cool. Like me, I thought I, I liked it. Why is no one else? But at the end of the day too, like you just have to keep putting yourself out there is what I'm gathering from you is like, do what makes you happy, put it out there. And if it's creative for you, like, you know, creating content, it's fun. I love watching content creators, right? Like I love yeah, seeing exactly. their work. It's like, it's so inspiring. Exactly. And I'm like, I want to see you put your makeup on. I want to see you <laughs> go and like go in a coffee shop and study. Like, <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Like, it's not that, it's not that deep, you know, like it's just, you're creating things. People like to see it, but it does help too. When I think, you know, us women who are in these like careers that most, you know, in the past and previous history, like many men have dominated. And it is so important for us to continue to like, keep our femininity, keep our persona. And I love, that's what I really like about yours too, is that you're in such like a brainy field. You're in the lab, but you make it look so good. You're like, you got your hair done, you got your makeup done, you got your nails done. I love watching all that. And (laughs) like, I love them. Can we see them actually? (laughs) They look so cute. Oh my gosh. They're perfect for like Valentine's Day. Thank you. (laughs) So cute. No, I mean, and things like that too, like, Having such a good um, side hustle, side passion is so important for even just like self-care. You know, I know, like you said, and even same here, being a first year medical student, I'm able to still get my nails done. I can't get them done every two weeks or anything, but I can, I put food on the table. Like it's not, you know, I can do it. But I think just having this extra creative thing is just really important to really just like have that sense of self, have my femininity and really also like put on what I want like to see change in these fields too. Like if we're on this trajectory of having women continue to be their feminine self, wearing makeup in their white coat, putting, doing their hair, like we need to continue to progress that. And I think that's something that you're doing with your content. And I I really am inspired by that. Thank you. And something that I think is really important is just kind of across the board when it comes to women, women's issues, women's spaces, is that the important part is that it doesn't matter whether you choose to be very feminine, present yourself femininely or not. It's the fact that you shouldn't be treated by your coworkers, by your peers differently on account of that choice. So I think it is important to not feel embarrassed to wear makeup in lab or wear makeup in the clinic or, you know, don't get me wrong. I love most of the time I'm in sweats. Most of the time I'm comfortable. (laughs) And like the idea of wearing scrubs to work every single day as a hospitalist sounds awesome. Um, So like one day when I'm working corporate, I will definitely miss how comfortably I dressed a lot of the time as a grad student. That being said, whenever I'm in the hospital, I see a woman sporting her cute little heels or her like hair and makeup is all done or she has you know, like a pink notebook or something. I just think that's, it's awesome that hopefully at least 
that is being respected and celebrated. And at the very least, we can see that that didn't get in the way of her getting to where she is. I think yeah. that's that's really what what matters a lot. Yes, I agree so much. That is definitely, yeah, right there. That that was it. So to get into a little bit of a different topic, so you and your husband, you guys met as lab partners, correct? And then (laughs) got married. Can you please share that love story? It is so special. Yeah. So I, as I mentioned, I was pre-med when I started. So at Northwestern, my husband and I met in chemistry class um, our very first year. We actually ended up, we, we found out later that we live in the same dorm, but you know, there's so many people on a college campus. You you miss people mm-hmm. pretty easily. But we were study buddies. We were we were best friends. And when I say oh. friends, I really do mean like we could have gotten friendship bracelets, right? Like we were <laughs> we were homies. We were any like the most platonic <laughs> friends for three and some change years. And I mean, Drew is brilliant. My husband, he's actually a medical student like you. Um, in between his third and fourth year, taking uh, a gap year to do some research. So he's. He's incredibly smart. He's incredibly bright. He was a great person to study with. He's a wonderful person, obviously. Um, and then I actually ended up making the first move our senior year. And he will not let me live that down. But um, <laughs> it turns out he, I guess, was, you know, our friendship really was incredible. And it was such a good friendship that he was afraid that by overstepping those boundaries, it might, you know, ruin a friendship, which does happen. So, um fine. Luckily, I was um, less risk averse. And here we are a little bit later. Um, We got married at the end of our second year of grad school. So he started med school in 2020. I started my PhD in 2020. And we finished our second years and got married that summer. And I couldn't recommend it more. Like if you have your person, um, it was so worth it doing it, you know, as a grad student, I don't think it made the experience any harder or any better. Um, It just is you know, like life, there's always life happening around you. But when I think when you can, you know, do something really exciting and special for yourself, and you kind of find that, that, that spot where you're like, this is the person. um, That's great. See, that is so special. I love that. That's see, that's what I was wondering, too, is like, as a grad student, like, did it make it any different? But you're saying no, it was just part of our lives. We wanted to do it. And that is so cute. I know you guys are lab partners and you have like a podcast that you host together. Such a power couple. Yeah, we do. It's kind of fun actually to be on the other side of an interview uh, for I a change, it. but we, it was actually, so this was Drew's idea. Um, we kind of realized that a lot of people, and I'm sure you'll experience this too. And especially once you become a physician, a lot of people come to science folks for very random opinions or fact checks um, about things that I have no authority to speak on. And this is especially true if you're in the medical kind of healthcare space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll get, you'll get calls from aunts and uncles once you're a doctor about the most, you know, the random back aches or tummy aches and things like that. Yeah. So you're like, this is happening to us now, but we know nothing about a lot of this science, but there's a lot of science that people are interested in, in understanding better. So we kind of created the, the science and society podcast to talk about things like caffeine or mental health, um, you know, things that work because of science or exist because of science or are explained through science, but to talk about it in a way that someone who isn't in grad school or isn't a biology major can understand. So it was actually really fun to, you know, interview people from around the world. We had interviews uh, that took place with people in um, England, in the rest of Europe, I think even Australia at one point. 
And this all kind of was happening around 2020 when everyone all of a sudden yeah. got really good at using Zoom. So it's kind of a perfect time and it's been really fun to to learn from those people. Oh my goodness. And when did you both start that? This would have been May of 2020. So, oh my goodness. you know, at this point we were kind of like, okay, this pandemic is not going anywhere. Um, we're graduating soon. We're losing our minds. Yeah. <laughs> Most people were. Um, we like we didn't we didn't know how much longer this would go on, and and we were so tired, honestly, of of just dreading what yeah. the future may or may not look like because of what was going on around us. That it was a really great way to do something fun and have something to look forward to. And people had nothing but time back then, so it was yeah. really easy to get people on the show. Um, you know, it's been a little bit harder now that you know, academics are back, back in full mm-hmm. swing, but, um, it's still really fun to, to do, we do an annual season. So we'll probably start recording in a few months. Oh, that's like so sick. Okay. We yeah. have to make sure we keep up to date, like knowing when that drops, because I bet yes. like what you're saying, that sounds <laughs> so important. Like I'm sure Drew and you both experienced that, like even family members coming and asking questions about science. You're just like, let's explain this in a way that everybody can understand, you know? And I know you, you mentioned too, yeah. that your both your parents are from Poland and that your mom is a nurse. So she is in medicine or she's in medicine as well. So um, yeah. I know for my family though, like we're, no one is in medicine. We're all just very like, <laughs> you know, I think I also am considered first generation too. I know that's something that you are too. And I find that very impressive as well, you know, that you come from a family from Poland and that you're first generation. That's really awesome. I'm so grateful for it. Um, and I'm really close to my family. My parents were, there, there's definitely a stereotype around foreign parents. Um, you know, they're from Eastern Europe. So I'm sure as I say that you kind of have like a picture in your head of what, what they look like and sound like and kind of how they, they handle things. And the, some things are, you know, they're like, they're very Eastern European and we're a very Eastern European family. And we have, mm-hmm. you know, traditions and things like that, that, are very Eastern European, but they never kind of align with that stereotype of like beating me over the head to make sure I did, you know, did well in school or did this and that. And they kind of just let me be my own person and, and find my own path through all this. So I'm, I'm really grateful that despite kind of the, the standard experience, or maybe not the standard, but perhaps the stereotypical experience of a first generation mm-hmm. student, um, I got the, I got the good part without a whole lot of the, the bad part, but it undoubtedly changes kind of how you navigate these spaces and how you navigate higher education. And a lot of times, honestly, I didn't even realize that my experience was different than a lot of my peers until I was actually in the middle of it. And I was like, oh, like my parents didn't do that. Or like my parents did it this way. Um, yeah. Like I filled out my own FAFSA form. You know what I mean? Like yeah. little things like that. It's like <laughs> I survived. Like I was fine. <laughs> like, yeah. They clearly, like, I guess I filled it out right. Um, yep. But they're like, wait, what? Like your, your dad didn't do that? I was like, no, I didn't want to bother him. Um, no, but I'm sure if I had just asked, you know, so, so it was kind of funny, like little things like that. I was like, oh, I had no idea that that's the norm or even like yeah. explaining sororities and fraternities to my parents because I'm the oldest of my siblings. It's like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so and definitely bet- a, a difference. Oh my gosh. No, that I know that feeling so much of filling out the FAFSA. <laughs> just, just, you know, she was my mom. I grew up with a single mom and she was working two different jobs always busy and definitely did not have time for us. <laughs> I mean, I like, talk oh, about, talk about like a superwoman. 
right? Like that's, that's amazing. I'm sure that oh, yeah. experience was difficult, but instilled in you a lot of incredible qualities and like an appreciation for, um, how hard that must've been. Yeah. And it also, was. She's, she's so proud of you now. I'm sure look like, ah, oh, that's amazing. And same for your parents as well. Like <laughs> in the, allowing them to, you know, they allowed you to kind of do whatever you want, take your own path. And same with my mom too, like growing up with a single mother, it is in that same way too. Like we grew up financially, not the best, but, um, I always knew that my mom would just allow me to do whatever I wanted. She was like, you just go for the gold and in whatever field and whatever space that is, Jordan, you will be able to do it. And I feel like that's such a powerful thing for parents to do is to just allow their kids to be. And I'm happy yeah. that you had that experience too. I know it was not, you know, ideal conditions, at least growing up with a single mother, but it did instill a lot of resilience in me, which we need in these graduate spaces, right? It's just so much delayed gratification. It will serve you well. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And I know for you too, you said that you may have about two years left in your PhD. So um, what's after that, you think? Oh man, like the, uh, the ever pressing question of a graduate yeah. student, right, is, is what's going to happen next. Um, so, I mean, the, the good news is I kind of have an answer. Um, and I kind of had the same approach when I was applying for undergrad and for grad schools, kind of keeping my options open and kind of being mentally flexible just to avoid disappointment. So I don't know if that's a, that's a proactive approach or like a pessimistic approach. I guess it kind of depends. It's like glass half empty, glass half full, however you look at it. But, um, I actually really enjoy the business side of science. So I've had a couple different opportunities as a graduate student to work with venture capital firms, for example, that invest in biotech um, or just kind of be around people who are really interested in this, this kind of stuff. I was never a finance girl. You know, I didn't study economics or anything, yeah. um, but it turns out that it's a really great way to still use your understanding of science because obviously when you decide whether or not to invest in a company that's developing like a new cancer therapeutic, for example, you have to actually be able to understand the science that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's a really fun avenue for, you know, actually any sort of higher level science degree. Mm -hmm. MDs are in that space too, obviously a little bit less often than PhDs, but um, that's a really fun way to kind of keep your science, you know, sharpened. And then on the flip side, kind of a more generalist space, like in a consulting role. And I know that that sounds um, really broad. And there's a lot of funny content actually about how vague the, the world of consulting is and no one really knows <laughs> what they do. And um, I think what's what's exciting to me about that is I love thinking quickly. I love keeping myself occupied with different tasks all the time. I think this is why content mm -hmm. is so fun for me, because, you know, it's it's not a five-year PhD. It's like a five-minute video and then it's edited in an hour and like on to the next one. So I love that kind of quick work pace um, and just working in different industries. So I love science. I will always love science. Um, but again, kind of coming back to this multifaceted interest and kind of being able to appeal to those, um, I think it'd be kind of fun to, to take a step back from this tunnel of science and see what else is out there and then kind of make the next step afterwards. But we'll see. No, that's exciting. It's like you'll be at the forefront of these new technologies, perhaps, and be able to explain their process and their research on how it actually is going to hurt, like hurt, 
how it's actually going to work and be a therapeutic <laughs> for people. That's really exciting, Olivia. I really like that. And I really It's really too, cool. No, it's I a cool bet. space that I didn't know existed when I started grad school. You know what I mean? Like you just you don't really think about where where drugs come from. You know, they just especially like when you're younger, you don't really if you don't need to think about it, why would you? So it's actually yeah. a really interesting industry. No, I think you would do great in that, especially like, on, and it sounds crazy, but it's like this creative outlet that you're doing, the content creation, the podcasting, it's going to just not only help, but it's going to keep progressing you. I feel like it's really going to, you know, continue to make your brand. People will know you. I know you. You're you're part of my repertoire of my TikToks that I watch <laughs> in my free time. Thank but you. Um, it is definitely something I think that's going to help communication. Um, confidence, business, because you're working with many brands, like it's just going to keep progressing you. And I, I think that's so important for people to realize too. It's, it can be a creative outlet, but it can be professional development as well. And I think that you're really showcasing that with the brands that you work with, which is really awesome and so inspiring. Um, Thank I you. know we're getting... We're getting close to our end time. And I just, I really want to thank you so much, Olivia, for sharing your words of wisdom on content creation, being a PhD candidate. And I can't wait to just follow your next podcast episode that's coming out. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that, that, that time flew so quickly. It was so great to chat with you. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I know. I really like, I feel like I just know you a little bit better now. And even through your content, I feel like you just really are very transparent. And so it does, it's just nice, I think, for people to really see you and, and know your story too. That makes me so happy to hear. That's really the goal. So I appreciate you saying that. Of course. And thank you everybody too, for tuning in to Brainy and Broke. It was so lovely to speak with Olivia today. I hope that you gained some great insight on how you can create content creation and also really work with brands and how that's going to help you in your brainy field. So thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Bye.